Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. And strap in. This is gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. I'm Kevin Donaldson. With me is Cirrus Pars. Here we talk about how the suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down, strap in, because this is gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. Well, welcome. I can't believe we we're actually getting this going. Yeah. You brought this up to me, uh, I don't know, a month and a half ago, two months ago. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try. But you're the one that kind of spearheaded this whole thing. And it sounds like it's really moving along nicely right now. So looking forward to it. Well, you were an important part to me because there are parts of our lives that are very similar. And there's parts of our lives that are very opposite. Sure. As much as I like hearing myself talk, I'm not a very uh, interesting person to talk to myself with. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> get into a little bit about ourselves. Um, like I said, my name's Kevin Donaldson. I'm a retired police officer. I am now in, I returned to government work. I've had a lot of things go on in my life that caused me a lot of pain. But some time ago, and I'm talking probably 20 years ago, I went on this search and I used to think it was a search for success. And I would look at all these great people and I would try to figure out what the commonality is and what made them so great or what made them successful. And I realized that I had to drop the word success because success can be defined as monetary gain. And that's not really what this is about. Really, what I was searching for is is a greatness, is what makes one person better than another person. And then I realized that all the great people who I admire had to go through some portion of their life and suffer. Suffering takes on many different forms, and we're going to get into that a little bit different. But it was the journey that made these people who it was. So then I, then I looked at my own life. I went through some times that were dark, that were just brutal. You know, and then when I, when I got through those times, I kind of missed it. I kind of missed going through that journey portion of it because I realized that that was, that was the real meat and potatoes of what made me who I am today. So I have a lot of things to share with other people. And I have a lot of uh, things that we can, we can sort of get through together and talk this stuff out. Because like I said, I'm still searching for all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I I think you're a good person to bounce that stuff off with. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the invite. And um, I think what's going to be kind of interesting here is that while you're kind of looking at it from that perspective, mine's going to be more of a, um, we just talked about this, uh, an involuntary kind of a suffering where I think I want to get to where you are, where I do subject myself to some of the suffering. Because for the same reasons, I believe that what you say is you have to suffer to achieve this greatness. I really do believe that. I've not done that for the most part of my life, but I'm looking forward to doing that. So I do think it's kind of interesting as this unfolds, this podcast, how we'll have a um, an interesting kind of dichotomy there of you having already done this and me wanting to do it. Please don't get me wrong. I've done my own suffering, again, involuntary suffering. I've had some crazy things happen. I'm 52 years old and I've been around and got a couple scars and things. And 
some semi-interesting stories to tell. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how these two kind of play against each other. I think. Well, a lot of my a lot of my suffering comes from an involuntary place. I, of course, I've had a sure. voluntary place, but it, I've had my share of involuntary suffering. And just to give you give you an idea of the way that I think, I ran a 2006 New York Marathon, and I'm not a runner. I was that kid that showed up the first day in football, that little fat kid, and they said, "Oh yeah, you're going to be on the offensive line," which is where they stick all the fat kids. <laughs> So what happened was I broke my wrist and I was always big into weightlifting and everything. And I broke my wrist and I couldn't, I couldn't lift weights. I had to do something or else I was going to lose my mind. So I got into running the most uncomfortable thing for me in my life. The thing that nobody ever thought that I would be able to do. So I went through, I started out with a 5k and I'm like, wow, that was, that was a great accomplishment. But I, when I crossed that finish line, I was like, that's not it. That's, that's not the sauce that I'm looking for. I'm, I'm always looking for that secret sauce sure. that, that, that thing to keep you going. And then I ran a 10 K and I'm like, well, you know what? That's not enough either. It's like this, it was like this giant hole in me that I was trying to fill. Yeah. So then I said, you know what? I'm going to run the New York, I'm going to run a marathon and what better marathon to run than New York marathon. By the grace of God, I was able to get in and, uh, I did the training. I crossed the marathon. I crossed the finish line and I had a tough time during the marathon, but I crossed the finish line and I was like, it was almost like anticlimactic. It wasn't, wasn't that I wasn't impressed I wasn't very happy. It wasn't about that, but I was looking for the next thing. I was looking for that next mountain to climb. So that's kind of, I looked back at that and I really, really missed the training. That's, that's what I think the, Mm -hmm. the, the portion of it was. And, and, you know, somebody said something to me once it was the, the journey is the destination. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that because without that, that's, that's what makes, that's what makes everything uh, valuable at the end. You know, if you were able to just go out there the first day and run that marathon or climb that mountain or start that company that becomes a billion dollar company, you really wouldn't appreciate it. You're like, well, you know, what's everybody bitching about? This is pretty easy stuff. Sure. That's a good, that's an excellent point. So, um, you know, that I want to try to get in a little bit about definitions mm-hmm. of suffering. I, I got a dictionary definition. It's the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. As we spoke about earlier, it's there's, there's a voluntary and then there's the involuntary. Speak a little bit about the involuntary. Yeah, that's, sure. That's your expertise. Yeah, it sure is. So, um, well, I'm 52 years old. I had a heart attack about 10 years ago. By the way, I'm a, a father of two, married, very happily married, and uh, had a had a heart attack about 10 years ago. I was 41, 42 years old, and um, always had you know reasonably okay health. I was always reasonably mobile and active, but you know, I've always had a weight issue, not to get too much into the story, but uh, one day I'm at work, I'm an IT uh, guy, and I'm sitting here working on laptops, and my left arm had been hurting for the last week or two prior to that, and I didn't think much of it. Quite honestly, I was shoveling snow that week, a lot of slush, a lot of heavy stuff, and I thought maybe I just pulled something in my uh, in my arm. All of a sudden, the pain starts moving kind of up the arm towards the chest, and I remember saying to my, my boss at the time, boy, my arm is... Uh, the pain's moving up into my chest. And my boss, being my age and being smarter than me, had said, you know what? I think you should need to go check, get checked out. I said, nah, I'm busy. We're working. We're trying to get these laptops built and out of here. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, I'm gonna wait. I got up to do something. I left the room, and he actually called my doctor. Don't ask me now how he got the number for my doctor. That's, that's lost the time. He actually called my doctor's office and pretended he was me and said, hey, uh, I'm having a little bit of a chest pain. I'd like to come in. And the doctor, um, to their credit, said, no, don't come here. Go right to the emergency room. My boss, knowing me being stubborn, said, no, I'm going to come and see you guys first anyway. And he said, just come on down. I went in, uh, had an EKG at my doctor. The doctor looked at the EKG and he said, do me a big favor. 
walk downstairs to my cardiologist friend and uh, have him check you out. Okay, that's a little concerning. So I, I went downstairs. He did an AKG and he said, do me a favor, drive across the street to the emergency room, check yourself in and I'll be there in about an hour. I started thinking to myself, okay, these guys are pretty serious right now. So went into the doctor's office, went into the emergency room, sorry. And the doctor, um, they hooked me up. Long story short, that night while I was sleeping, I had a heart attack. Woke up in the morning, felt fine. The doctor was leaning over me and said, hey, good morning. You had a heart attack last night. So I had a stent put in uh, that day. Knock wood, everything's been really successful ever since. So yeah, you want to talk about suffering. I, um, I literally almost died. I had a 90 plus percent blockage. I think they had actually quoted it as a 99 percent blockage in what they call the Widowmaker. Ah, I had a lot of friends that oh, had yeah. blockages like this. Upper left. Yep. I think I want to say ventricle. My cardiologist, who's since become someone I, I really, really look up to, saved my life. Uh, he said to me, he goes, your next snowstorm, you were not being rushed to the hospital. You were dead in your driveway with your wife finding you there. Pretty heavy duty stuff, you know. Thank God I didn't know you then because there ain't no way I'm giving you mouth to mouth. Exactly. That's exactly right. And my wife said the same thing. She would never give mouth to mouth, which I understand. So <laughs> I didn't even know you had a heart attack. I didn't tell you that. No, you never told me that. Maybe I was saving it for this. I'm, I'm trying to remember now. But yeah, I, I literally had a heart attack at 42 years old. And, uh, you know, I did the right thing. I lost the weight and everything else. But the weight came back and went off, came back, and went off. Now I hope I'm on the right track where I'm, you know, I'm definitely keeping the weight off. And as you know, trying to exercise. Well, I know your diet's pretty dialed in. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Anyway, that's my uh, involuntary suffering. So the difference is involuntary suffering is things that, that happen that you have no control over versus voluntary. And voluntary sure. is, a, is a much broader, life's pretty simple. Sure. Okay. Life's pretty simple. We make it complicated. Yes. But without constantly challenging yourself, there's, there's, there's what's, what fun is that? Yeah. You know, I know you like to go, you're an outdoorsman, you yeah. like to go camping. And th- Do you understand if our ancestors ever found out we were voluntarily sleeping outside when they had to do it on, they hadn't, didn't have a choice? It'd kick our ass. Yes, absolutely right. But you have to, sometimes you got to, you got to throw a test your way. Sure. You have to throw a test your way. And it, it depends on what that tipping point is. It, see, my contention is, is there's nothing in the world. There's absolutely nothing in the world that you or I can't do. The, the difference is, is do you want it bad enough? You know, the long years and years ago, my grandfather always used to tell me, if you, if you want something and you don't get it, because you don't want it bad enough. You know, you have to be willing to go through the pain. You have to be willing to go through the hits in order to get there. The only difference between some people in this world as opposed to others is they're willing to go through that stuff. The, the big problem, with, and we see this today constantly, is you know when COVID hit, everybody freaked out because nobody did any wargaming. Nobody did any preparation. Everybody just got thrown into this situation where they thought they were suffering, but they really didn't know yeah. So they, they were kind of lost. Like I do a lot of war game. I do a lot of prep. I do, I put the reps in. Yeah. I think that's, that's the, that's the only thing that makes me different from other people. Yep. You know, in order to, in order to knock me down, you're going to have to step on my neck and keep me there. Exactly right. Yeah. No, that's a good thing. So I think I'm with you in constantly war gaming, constantly prepping mentally for things that are going to happen. My problem is the uh, actionable things. I'm not making it actionable as much. It's in my mind all the time. But I need to get better at the actual doing those things. I want to suffer. I want to suffer sitting and uh, studying for my certifications in IT. So I ultimately become a better IT person. I want to suffer putting in those miles on the road so that I uh, become more physically fit. And that's kind of my, that's going to be my journey is moving more into the voluntary suffering. Because let's be quite honest, me uh, studying for some of these advanced IT certifications that I'm looking to eventually get, that's suffering. I'm not going to lie to you. That to me is suffering. Sitting there with the book, 
reading something I'm not necessarily passionate about is is going to be suffering. And I'm it's pretty dry stuff. It is, and I want to get to that point. I need to get to that point. But the, the only, again, once a, the only thing that's different between you and I is is I put on my shoes that day. Yeah, that's the only difference. Yeah. Well, let me let me put it to you this way. So I see this in, I teach, or I coach, uh, as you know, I, I coach your son, mm-hmm. um, I coach youth sports, and I've seen this over my entire life where you have these people with incredible talent. Now, I'm not talking just talent in sports. I'm talking talent in business, talent in music. If you were a person who was naturally gifted to do one particular thing, you're going to get pretty bored of that thing. And you became the best at whatever your chosen vocation is. You're going to get pretty bored. And I was just thinking about this while I was running this morning. You remember Bobby Fischer? Sure. Okay, the chess, chess player. Sure. He was a absolute master at yeah. chess. And what happened when he when he I, I forget what his age was when he when he just said, I'm done. I'm done. I, I've had enough. Yeah. Because what I've seen people with true talent do, there's a couple different paths they can take. They can they're they're either when they're presented with a challenge, they're either gonna quit, they're gonna cheat where they're going to rise above it. One of those three and maybe a combination of those three. And I've seen that. Uh, I've seen brilliant IT guys. I mean, absolutely brilliant who it's mind numbing for them to go to work. Mm-hmm. They go to work for the paycheck and that is it. They get no joy out of life sure. because there's nothing, there, there's no obstacle in front of them. There's no challenge for them. Yeah. You know, the fact that you have to study and that's the way you provide for your family. Of course. You know, that, yeah, that's, that's quite honestly, it's the only re- way, that I would do what I, what I have to do. And that's part of the problem is that if I was passionate about IT, like I am about other things, U.S. history and the outdoors and whatnot, that I'd probably be uh, Bill Gates because that passion would be there for it. Unfortunately, to me, the reality is that it's, it's a job. At the end of the day, there's nothing overly exciting about technology, but it's something I'm in. It's something I have 20 years invested in, and I might as well keep going. And that's just the reality of it. But uh, yeah, so, so to me, it is the suffering, whereas... You have, you know, I have friends, we, we all have friends who will sit there with a, a computer server and literally tear it apart and build it a hundred times. And every time it fails, they learn something new and they build it again. They're, they're having fun. Are they suffering? You could argue at the same time, they're, they're enjoying it and moving towards that ultimate goal of becoming better and better and better. Me, it's work. And that to me is where the suffering is going to be. Well, when I was a police officer, I used to do accident investigations and I was one of these oddball people who just thoroughly enjoyed it, where other people would see it as absolutely mind-numbing, uncomfortable, because you're, you're dealing with, in a fatal motor vehicle accident, obviously you're dealing with dead bodies, you got to go to autopsies, you got to see some of the worst of the worst. But for me, I'm a, I, I love math. Motor vehicle accident, motor vehicle crash is nothing but math. Sure. It's how much energy was created during that smack, yeah. what happens to the car, something as stupid as, uh, I would pull the light bulbs. Because to see if the filament was on, because if a tungsten filament is heated during a, during a collision, it'll bend, it'll bend towards the accident or tire marks on the ground. You can tell if they're accelerating or decelerating. So that, that was it. But I know people that were, that had a gift for math, just a gift. They didn't want to have anything to do with it just because it was too difficult for them or they just didn't have the, you know, they didn't have that in them to, to sure. go that extra mile to do that work. Sure. It was a job. It was a job. It was a job. It was a job. Yeah. So you find what you're good at. You find what you love. Yep. And then, you know, nobody says that that's got to be your primary. Yeah, of course. Absolutely right. I mean, you got a lot of other different interests. Yeah. I know you're, you're heavily into firearms. Yeah. You're into outdoor stuff. Yep. History. History. You know, we, yeah. we have a lot of commonalities. We yeah. also have a lot of differences. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. 
Oh yeah, I, was, I often say if I can make my uh, living doing something with firearms, I'd be uh, a millionaire because the passion's there. Well, I think there's an opening in that uh, that guy get busted for kid porn. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, so it's probably what, red arm fireman. Yes. I don't know. Red, red arm. Say that, but yeah, we probably have to cut that out. Yeah. But, yeah. What was his name? Red jacket. Red jacket. Red jacket. Red jacket. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's public knowledge now. It is oh, completely public knowledge. Yeah. So he, he Will Will was not a uh, good guy. No, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, I watched it a couple times. I, guns. I, again, I've been shooting guns ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. But they're just. You know, I like target shooting. Yeah, yeah. But that's about it. I'm not a hunter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a meat eater. Yeah. I take full advantage of civilization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'd do it if I had to. Yeah. I think we all would, hopefully. Um, except my mother-in-law. That's a whole other suffering yeah. realm when we start talking yeah. about mother-in-laws. Yeah, mother-in-laws are in episode, I think, 12 or 13 by the time we're coming. So, you know, this, this suffering concept, I, I think we you have to go through this suffering in order... One of the things that I said in the beginning was that sustainable success. You'll see trust fund babies, okay, they, they're given money. Or you'll see lottery winners. They win sure. millions of dollars. And what happens to them within a year? They're they're broke. They they the wasteful spending, and you know they they're really just unhappy people because sure. they've never had to work for that. They never had nothing. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point. And conversely, those that work really hard those that put in the sweat equity and that um had their businesses actually fail and then succeed fail succeed those are the ones who have sustainability because they know the value of the hard work and what they put into it and so you you're 100 right well you see you see that a lot in greenhorns and in, in first first generation immigrants into this country sure I mean, some of these people and we're talking uh italian german irish indian uh these people will scream. They'll squeeze a quarter to the eagle screams. Sure. Because well, they're coming from an area. Yeah. You got to look at where they've come from. Sure. They're coming from an area with absolutely nothing. Absolutely. So they know what that feels like. They know that hardship. They've lived through that suffering portion of it. Yeah. And now they have a little bit, and they never want to go back there. So you know, and also the, the key the key element to that is perspective. All right. So any type of suffering will give you perspective, mm-hmm. and then perspective that will guard against outrage and what i mean by outrage is why is this happening to me mm-hmm. well if you've been there before you've wargamed it you've suffered through it you're not going to be as outraged if you lose it because you have that perspective mm-hmm. and we see um there's a lot of turmoil going on in the country right now which again that's that's it's a whole other thing that we, it's a deep we, hole. We, yeah, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we can't because we're either going to make friends or enemies or both. <laughs> but you know, there, there's this outrage culture. Yeah, there's um, they're, they're fighting against all these things. And if you watch these people who are fighting, look at what they're wearing. They're wearing nice clothes. Yeah, of course. They're not fighting for, you know, to to survive. Yeah, they're 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 trying to stand up. And and I have to believe that some of them believe that they're doing the right thing. They're they're the trust fund babies. Yeah, the trust fund. We used to call them trustafarians. Trustafarians. That's yeah. a, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, we used to call them that too. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, it's kind of like you see our kids today. You know, um, you know, our kids. How old are they going to be when they even have their very first job? You know, it's something we we have to wonder. You know, I know I was twelve years old. You know, delivering newspapers in twenty degrees in the snow on a ten speed bicycle. Making I had that job. Twenty dollars a week. I had that job for a long time. From yeah, about, I was about eight till about seventeen. Yeah, wow, much longer than me. But uh, for me, it was, you know, 20 bucks a week. And I had to go to each house and, and pick up like, 75 cents a week in a little manila envelope. 
And I wonder, you know, at 12 years old, I was started working. I've never not had a job. How old are these kids today going to be when they have their first job? And the answer to a lot of them is once they're out of college. Well, again, you know, our kids are the same age, just just for everybody listening. So I try to give my kids perspective. They want certain things in life. Well, this is going to sound very cruel, but I make them pay for it. I don't put the money in my bank. I put it in their their bank, which they don't know. But I want them to have ownership of it. I want them to to have that perspective that I paid for this with the money that I earned. My oldest now, when when I go out and move snow, he'll come with me occasionally and I'll pay him. You know, I'll pay him. I think the last time I paid him is $15 an hour, which is a pretty damn good rate. Can I work with you? Yeah. So I paid him $15 an hour, but he's out there for an hour in the cold, getting whipped in the face with snow. He's going to be less likely to go below that $15 on something stupid. You better believe it. He's going to, you know, and he, they're, they're pretty good. They're, they are pretty good. Mm-hmm. When they're young, I used to see a lot of wasteful things. Yeah. You know, well, I'll just do this. I'll do this. Or if, you know, there's a job, I'll pay them, I'll pay them to do not every job yeah. because there are some jobs that you got to do for free. Sure. It's just part of life. Sure. But I just want the kids to have that perspective. Now, a lot of parents will say, well, I don't want the kids to suffer the way I suffer. I think that's a horrible attitude. I'm going to agree with you. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say that everything you just said is great. I am guilty of not doing that, my wife and I, although we keep saying we need to start doing that. I, I think that's amazing. I want my kids to do exactly what, what I did to know what it takes to uh, to actually earn a living, to earn the dollar that they're about to spend on a, on a, on a pack of gum or something. And um, yeah, I applaud you for it. I commend you because it's something that I think all these kids, this, this generation is going to need anyway. Sometimes my wife says I'm a little too hard on them. Yeah. But I'm trying to raise, I have two boys. I'm trying to raise men. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and I know that's a, that's a very toxic masculine thing to say, but it's not politically correct, but it's, I think it's necessary. Of course, you, you know, we, we joke about soy boys, but huh? you can't raise soy boys. You have to raise so men. The, the, before we go any further, I need you, I need you for people who are listening. <laughs> I need you to define what a soy boy is. Sure. No, so I just started using the expression recently, uh, more to have fun than anything else. Um, Cause I'm sure there's a little bit of soy boy in me too. To me, the, the soy boy is the ones that, you know, walk into the, uh, you know, the coffee shop and ask for the decaf mocha soy latte with a uh, sp- uh, spritz of lemon or something. Oh, it's definitely a, different, a specific person that you're talking about. Absolutely like, right. The, you know, the, you, I could put, put 10,000 faces to what you just sure. said there. Go Absolutely ahead. right. Now, please understand, I walk into that same coffee shop and I order something without with the soy, but I order it from those fancy coffee places too, and I thoroughly embrace it. I, I love that coffee. So to me, it, it embodies like, a, like an addict, a, a, a less masculine kind of a male that you know, I do think, and we'll talk about this maybe at some point, is that we're, we're moving so far away from in this, in this society is that we're forgetting what it's like. And this is, uh, let, me, let me bring this right around again to the suffering. These, these kids today and these adults who no longer work really hard for something, they lose the perspective of what's important. Like you and I said, you know, you appreciate that $15 because your son knew that he was busting his butt out in the freezing cold snow to earn it. It's a different perspective. Well, people are trying to always look for that shortcut. Yeah, that you know, if you go go on the internet right now and look up life hacks, sure, hundreds of things will pop up. Yeah, because everybody's trying to get to from A to Z without having to go through the middle of the alphabet. Perfectly said. Well, you have to go through that alphabet to get to Z. Otherwise, Z doesn't mean anything. Perfectly said. Think about medication. Wait, after your heart attack, how much medication did they put on? Yeah, seven or eight different meds. Now, how much are you still on? I'm talking yeah. prescription meds. I'm down to three now. Okay, and. Three. and do you mind telling what they are? If you don't, don't worry about it. No, I, I, the names, um, uh, 
carvedilol. Just tell me what they're for. How's that? Lipitor. What one's a um, high medication? One's a uh, cholesterol you know, blocker. I'm really terrible with these. I got to be honest with you. I don't know which one does which. When nurses ask me, so what are you still on? And I'm saying you have to tell me, and then I'll tell you yes or no. And forget so, about your soy blocking medication. That, well, the soy I, I enhance my soy. I, I try to enhance the soy. Um, but uh, carvedilol, which um, I believe is you know what? I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm not going to say it. There's Lipitor, and then there's um, uh, Coreg, and, and my coffee, of course. You know, the, with doctors today, and it's it's all part of this society we live in where everything's got to be a quick fix. Everything's got to be instant gratification. Yep. You know, now some of those medications you were on keep you healthy. Don't I'm not trying to tell you that medications aren't don't have their value. Of course. I'm talking about doctors are very quick to medicate you rather than you going through the suffering in order to get better. Absolutely right. So what really started me getting into training for triathlons and things like that is I went in, some of this had to do with me redoing my kitchen and having a wife, which raised my blood pressure to elevated levels. Yep. And I was always that 120 over 80 guy. So when I went in and got my blood pressure taken, I wasn't high enough where I was going to get on medication, but I went, whoa, what's going on here? So I had to take a step back and figure out what it was. So I didn't, down the line, have to get put on medication because that's not something I want to do. No, no one ever wants to. Right. Because then you're stuck. Yep. So I said, okay, let me take a step back. Let me try, try to figure out a way to do this naturally and do everything in my power to avoid medication. And that's kind of what I did. You know, this happened a couple of years ago. You, you see this a lot with uh, heavier people, right? They get their stomach stable. Yep. Now, there are some people who, if they don't get their stomach stable, they're going to die. But then there's some people who just don't want to go through that pain of going out and taking a walk. Yeah. Or eating a salad. Eating a salad. Educating themselves. And there are certain people out there that are just, they, they're, ignorance is a word that I use very often, but I don't, it doesn't mean stupid. It means lack of education. Of course. So when I ask you your medications, are you actively trying to get off those medications or are these medications you're going to be on for the rest of your life? No, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of them, I've been slowly taking off, um, I'm going to say three, three, four of them over the years. There's one I'm told that I will probably always be on. And then uh, the other two are potential that I could get off of them. So the goal is to get off of almost all of them. But he said there is one where he... And again, I apologize for not knowing the exact details of which one is which. There is one, he said, because of your hereditary nature, uh, you'll probably always be on. He said, you can be the healthiest, healthiest person on the planet. You'll probably still be on this one because your body's creating this naturally. But everything else I'm trying to get off of for sure. And You see this it. a lot with cholesterol medication. Yeah. The old thinking of cholesterol is you can't have certain foods. Well, there's no correlation. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've researched this. There's no correlation between eating cholesterol and having, and high, having cholesterol. high cholesterol. So yeah. you, you can eat the egg yolks. Sure. The egg yolk, eggs are like a perfect food for you. Yeah. But doctors won't tell you that. They'll just put you on medication. Easier. Sure. Because, you know, and I'm not saying they're they're out for a money grab, but some of them are. Mm -hmm. Of course. So we got to get around these quick fixes. We got to get around these life hacks. And we got to teach people the only way for peace, the only way for perspective is to go through, not around. Because mm -hmm. you go yeah. around, it just, it, there's no value in it. There's no value to it. In order to be, uh, Success, you know, people who, who become successful, they want to stay successful. People who become great want to stay great. Sure. And there's no quick fix. There's no life hack to, to be successful. It's you need to work your ass off. Yes. And it's something that the newer generation, the ones that are entering in the workforce now, they've missed. Of course. I, I hear I hear these things where guys are holding out for $60,000 a year jobs. Starting, yeah. You know, I, I, I think I think I was making $3.10 
my first minimum wage job. Nobody wants to work minimum wage jobs. Yeah. You know, they're trying to pass this $15 minimum wage. Well, that's not really doing anything because nope. corporations are always going to have their money. Sure. It's going to do something, just not nothing positive. Correct. Yeah. Because the person who is working that minimum wage job is not working. Most of them, not all of them are doing that because it's a secondary job or it's somebody entering in the workforce. Sure. And these people aren't real willing to work. You know, they're not willing to start at the bottom. Of course, you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Of course, yeah. You you pay them fifteen bucks to start. They're going to say, "Wait a second, I I can stay here and flip burgers. Nothing against flipping burgers. I love hamburgers, but I'm going to stay here because I'm making fifteen bucks an hour. I can survive on this. I'm never going to want to do better than this. I'm never going to want to rise up because hey, I can just flip burgers all day and make fifteen bucks an hour. I see this. Um, I see this in in. in job, the job that I have now, I see, I've seen it in every job where people, it's that entitlement. Sure. So that's a big word. Yeah. So entitlement is almost the antithesis of my definition of suffering. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about voluntary suffering. Yeah. And uh, I know we spent most of the time on voluntary suffering. We're going to get into the other side of it in just a minute. Mm-hmm. That, that entitlement, this, the world owes me. Well, the world doesn't owe you shit. Yeah. All right. Hey, we have our first curse word and I'm kind of happy to hear it now because now I can start Letting them fly. You got to let the explicit explicatives fly. So I made a list of seven curse words and I'm going to be ready for them. Oh yeah. Go for it, man. There's a, George Carlin. Seven. I, I love George Carlin, but no, no, okay. but I'm glad to hear the first, uh, first curse word coming out. So that's good. No, I, I, I agree completely. It's um, I think we're, we're definitely onto something really big here. The, the idea that there's characters built through suffering is obviously huge. The idea, um, you know, we talked about this right away with the kids, the, these kids today that are going to literally not know what it's like to do physical work to me is incredible. You know, I, I'm, you know, I said my first job, I was 12 years old delivering newspapers, but I realized now we were shoveling snow. Well, that was a moneymaker when I was a kid. Well before that. There was the storm, um, the storm in 1978. I would have been 10 years old. And I literally remember snow at least up to my armpits. And we would be out there, my brother, myself, and my neighbor, shoveling a driveway for hours and hours and hours. And I'm guessing we made five bucks each back then. And these kids today, there's no, so they may even have jobs, but these jobs today are sitting behind uh, a cash register at Cups and just ringing up your, you know, weighing your your froyo. And uh, you know, they're not. It's not real work. It's not real suffering. You know, it's not uh, slinging you know, garbage cans full of heavy leaves and, and uh, shoveling snow and, and other things. So then you have a whole generation of, of kids that, well, look at the job market now. So parents are pushing. I know my parents did, and I'm probably your parents did. go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college. Sure. Because sure. they thought in their heads that if I, if you don't have to suffer the way that I suffered, you're going to be better off. So go to college, go to college. So now you have these trade, these trade jobs, you know, electrician, plumber, that are going 70% unfilled yeah. because nobody wants to go do the hard work and exactly sweat right. and exactly you know, right. crawl in air can, or crawl, crawl in attics in, yeah. in 150 degree heat. But, but you go to a trade school, you're going to get paid yeah. while you're work, while you're going yeah. to school. When you come out, you're going to be making more than these people coming out of college mm-hmm. who have 150 to $200,000 in debt. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're lucky if they get a $60,000 a year job, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's, that's that's why I looked. I've looked at that, and that's why I'm not going to allow my kids to go through that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd be just as happy if my kids went into the military or trade school. I'd be thrilled if yeah. my if my son said that I want to be an electrician. Incredibly happy, not just because I could take that money and go buy a shore house now, <laughs> but the reality is, an electrician, a plumber, these are these are jobs that 
you know, you can say, well, they're, they're dirty. They're, they're dirty jobs. My, one of my favorite yeah, shows yeah. ever. But, dirty um, jobs was all about suffering. It was all about suffering. You sound like Mike Rowe, by the way. <laughs> and, and I mean that as a compliment. I wish I could sing like Mike Rowe. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, he's, he's cool. Well, he's got that, um, he's got that scholarship fund yes. for trade schools, yeah, which I adore. He has to be a guest on this eventually. Oh, my God. He's one of the most, he's, he's probably one of my main heroes uh, today. Not, not to get into another subject, but he's probably one of my main guys in that you know, show. He's, he's, a, he's a huge voice of reason for me. He is an incredible voice of reason. So he'll come out with these, um, I don't know if they're, I'm not on Twitter, but he'll, he'll come out with these tweets. Yeah. They're just, and I'll read, I'll read them occasionally. Yeah. And they're so profound and they're so grounded in, in real world truth. Absolutely right. And I, I just, I, I, I'm with you on that one. I think he's a, I think Amazing. he's a voice of reason in a chaotic time. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, he's, um, he's absolutely a hero of mine. So we, we spent enough time on voluntary suffering. Let's talk about some involuntary suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, the involuntary suffering, and I've thought long and hard about this, is absolutely every bit as valuable as the voluntary suffering. We just got to look at it from a different perspective. Sure. So you go through all this pain. Like you, you, you have the death of a loved one. Yeah. Um, I know you've had some death in your family, and uh, I'm not by any means comparing this. I just recently lost my dog of 13 sure. years, and she was my little girl. Yeah. She was my first baby. We had her before we had kids. Yeah. You know, I've said this for years and years and years after I had kids that pets are here to teach a lesson to children about death, how to deal with death, how to deal with that pain. That's really profound. Because if you can deal with that pain and not let it ruin your peace and not get stuck in the, the what was me type of type of atmosphere, you come out on that other side stronger. And what you're doing is you're wargaming. You're unconsciously wargaming. I've gone through this pain. I know this feeling and I can get through this. Yeah. And that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very important. Yeah. You know, imagine imagine the first I know you can't think about this. But I don't know if you remember the first time that you dealt with death. Well, uh, like death of a, a, a pet or something versus death of a... Uh, As a child, I don't think it matters. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I've had, you know, parakeets die and cats die and things like that. But certainly, you know, what, what was profound to me was the death of, like, my loved ones. That was, you know, especially because I, I went through a good part of my life before I really directly experienced the death of a loved one. You know, I was, I was an adult by then. And it was much, it was, it was really profound. So, but yeah, I, I do think it's, um, I, I totally agree with you about the pets, you know, teaching you about love and life and, and certainly of death. In such an abbreviated time yes, as well. Exactly. You know, you don't have to wait years. 80, 90 years to experience all the good, Absolutely the right. joy, the heartache. And it's, it's just like a, it's like a, uh, an abridged version of. Absolutely right. Yeah. emotions of course absolutely right. you have 15 years on a dog average uh if you were like us and you got suckered into a uh, feeder fish that was given to your daughter at a birthday party that lasts three months and uh <laughs> you have to run out at nine o'clock at night on a saturday to pet smart and hope you could find another feeder fish that looks like that then uh yeah you know you you learn that it's an abbreviated three months instead of 15 years but it is the same thing it's, it's, it's absolutely it's still your little girl dealing with death and that she's very sad and, yeah so that's Which that's breaks your heart it breaks your heart does break your heart. It's an excellent point. I always look back to the death of my grandfather. My grandfather, he's my absolute hero. And he died in 1996. He died November 19th. Um, I'm sorry, October 19th, 1996. So, you know, 24 years has mm-hmm. passed mm-hmm. and it's been some time, but there's not a day that goes by I don't think about him. Sure. And for a good portion of that time, I was still devastated. I mean, it still hurts. Sure. You know, I look back on all the great things that he taught me. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And that's I had to go through that really hard, difficult pain sure. 
to realize that all those good things were there waiting for me on the other side. Absolutely right. I just had to get through that darkness to, to see it. To see it, exactly. Especially with the grandparent, because you typically learn such incredible things from these, these uh, elderly people. If you're smart, whenever an older person talks, you're, you're shutting up and listening to what they have to say, because typically you learn something valuable from them. Well, know, I ended up writing a book about my grandfather. and I, I think I knew that, yes. I wrote a book about him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I self-published it. it it's, listen, it's it's more of a labor of love. It's more of a therapeutic thing than sure. anything else. Of course. of course. Cathartic. But I looked in there and I'm, I, as I was writing that book, I was, I was listing all the things that he taught me, you know, and I'm looking at it and they're just so true. And here he was 82 years old when he died, grew up in, in, you want to talk about some suffering. I mean, he lost his father in 1928 and had to, had to leave school at 13 and had to go to work because he had all these brothers and sisters. And, and he was just, and, you know, with eighth grade education, smartest man I ever knew in my yeah, life. That's profound. Because he worked. He worked. He worked as, he was a truck driver. Just, you know, did really shit jobs. Yeah. But he did what he had to do. He graduated magna cum laude from the School of Hard Knocks. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome guy. But anyway, so that that, that involuntary suffering does have its value. Of course. You just have to get through the darkness in order to see the lesson at the end. Absolutely right. You know, and now when I think about him, I talk about him often with my children. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, my youngest is named after him. Exactly. He's the fifth. Yeah, yeah. My my youngest. Wow. And, um, you know, so that, that... it carries on. You know, I, I still teach those lessons. And hopefully, one day, my children will teach their lessons, of course. those lessons to the kids. Of course. Absolutely right. Yeah. Wow. So he's the he's literally the fifth. He's the fifth. Yeah. He's the fifth. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and my brother. Wow. But I don't want to ever um, devalue the, the end result, all right? Even voluntary or involuntary suffering, sort of to bring this all into perspective for everybody, you got to know the end result and you got to appreciate the end result and you got to allow yourself to feel good about the end result, but you can't dwell on the end result. So when you say you got to know the end result, meaning you have to see what your goal, you have to know what your goal is. I find it always easier to participate in that, in any type of voluntary suffering. If I know the end result you sure. now with, with involuntary, it's a little bit different because yeah, with involuntary, you can't see the end result sure. until you get there. Until you get there. With voluntary, with voluntary, it's it's much easier. Sure. But there's a trick. I'm going to teach you one trick with in, with voluntary suffering. You have to you have to learn to keep your world small. I'm a huge fan of Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. and they're they're the hell of hell is Hell Week. First, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're up all week. They get maybe one or two hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. They're constantly under stress. Their body's being whacked and beaten. Yeah. The reason most Navy SEALs quit is because all they're doing is looking at that end result. Not to say you can't you you, you have to have a goal, but your goal should be. I'm just going to make it this minute. Yeah. Now we do this. We've run together. Yeah. When I'm having a tough run, I'll look at the next telephone pole. That's my end. Mm-hmm. And then when I get to the next telephone pole, of the end. Because if you start thinking about the whole thing all at once, yeah, it's, it's too much. much. It's too much. It's, it's too overload. Much. Sure. And that, you now God, I can't make it. So the Navy SEALs, they 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 teach this. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to try to keep your world small. Yeah. Little small goals. Yeah. That's why alcoholics do it. Yeah. Exactly. One day at a time. One day at a time. And if you live yeah. one day at a time. God, just think about how great that is to live one day at a time, yeah. to live present, Absolutely right. not thinking about the future because anxiety is fear of the future and depression exactly is fear right. of the past. It's almost a two-sided approach. It's You're not just, you're, you're living in a moment, which is a good thing, but at the same time, you're you're not obsessed with, hey, I need to stay alcohol-free until the day I die. So I just have to get through today. That's a that's a pretty big thing for somebody who's a, who has that addiction to of course, it. Of course. You know, with, with any type of endurance sport that I do, I just try to, well, you know what, I'm just going to make the next mile. I teach my kids that I teach them, you can do anything for 10 minutes. So just focus on the next 10 minutes. Yeah. 
And then after that, focus on the next 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, you did that with me. We're running. And it, was actually, it actually worked. And that, that's how I, that's, I try to live my life yeah. like that. No, that's a good point. Because I'm, I'm, listen, I'm a moron. Let's face it. I'm a moron. <laughs> and if I let myself get away from myself, I will be a ball of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. I can't, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't look like that. So in other words, keep your world small. You, keep, you say you're a moron, which I don't think you are, but keep your world small. Worry about you. Worry about what you can handle, what you can take on. Yes, and I am a moron. <laughs> I am too. But if then if you look at the, like a Taoist principle, you have to know the darkness in order to know the light. Um, there's no back without no front. You seen the yin yang? Sure. You have to know the bad in order to know the good. Sure. You have to go through, you have to put in those reps and know the pain, know how that feels. In order to get to the end result, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, every piece of paper has a front and a back. I think a lot of people, you know, we've talked about this, but a lot of people just want to, they want to avoid all that stuff. They just want to get to the front. Yeah, instant gratification. Instant gratification. Yeah, you're right on the money. Anything I'd be saying at this point is just kind of reiterating what you said. This instant gratification world we live in now. Ten years ago, to fifteen years ago, we're laughing about oh, it's instant gratification. We can go to McDonald's and wait for you know two three minutes to get a meal. Now it's hey, I want a new computer. And if it's not a, you know, delivered on my doorstep the next morning, we get pissed off. We're pissed off. Yeah. Right. Amazon prime in instant gratification. It's, it's a horrible thing. It is. It really is. It truly is. You never, never marry and have Amazon prime. Isn't that the, yeah. Yeah. The two, two rules I tried to live by and uh, neither one worked. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> unless you can combine marriage with Amazon prime, have your next mail order probably delivered next day well this do they deliver next day from russia they do but the problem is um returning is, is a problem with that you can't bring them into um coals or something to return. yeah what if you get a defective one it doesn't matter you you have to wait it's, it's 30 days so <laughs> oh yeah. i tried i tried trust me <laughs> well see there, there's so many different uh topics you know i want to talk a little bit about where this this podcast is going where i'd like to see it going where you'd like to see it go sure, sure. you know there's all these different subjects that we could talk about there's listen we could do we could do a month of shows on marriage because there's a lot of suffering involved in marriage. I'm going to be careful what I say just in case my wife listens to this, but yeah, there's a lot of suffering in marriage. Suffering, the wedding ring. The wet, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. Suffering, exactly right. That's what it is. <laughs> We're kidding, of course. You know, obviously, there's there's uh, there's a lot of suffering in, in any type of sports. Sure. Uh, there's suffering in, in death. There's suffering in religion. I mean, Christ. Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean that their whole religion's built around yeah, suffering. Right. You know, there's there's all these different aspects, and we're we're going to try to get some guests in here. We're going to have some really people that really great people lined up very very soon that'll give you a little bit of perspective on their version of suffering. You know this 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 one is you and I talking, and there's going to be a couple of these different episodes, but to get somebody else's perspective on how they view the things, they they might not even see that the how they're how they're suffering or how their suffering has benefited them. Sure. But that's kind of our job. Exactly right. You know, and I really do want to get some opposing views in here. Maybe one or two women. Mm, not sure I'm comfortable with that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I've, I've spoken to a, to a woman who, um, she's a wellness coach. She deals with people's lack of wanting to suffer more than you and I can possibly imagine. And she, she want to talk about swimming against the tide. This poor woman, wow. her her job is difficult. Her job is very, very difficult. We got some athletes that, that want to come in, some military guys. Yeah, so we, you know, we're gonna do we're gonna do some great things, and um, you know, hopefully everybody uh, enjoys this podcast, and we can we can continue it and yep. uh, bring you some benefit. So yeah, you have anything else to add? No, I just I think I'm along for this uh, really interesting ride. Um, I'm hoping to add my own perspective to a lot of these things, but I'm absolutely learning a lot of this. Like I mentioned earlier, to me, it's 
I want to get into the suffering. You know, I've, I've certainly done enough involuntary suffering. I've done very little voluntary suffering, but it is an absolute goal of mine to do it because I am 100% convinced that you need the suffering to have the great things that you're trying to achieve in life. Anything that's easy is not worth it. We've already done the hard stuff because involuntary suffering is way more difficult than voluntary suffering. Absolutely right. You know, there's times I'm out in the road going, what the fuck did I do this to myself? Yeah, yeah, sure. But, you know, it, the involuntary sort of hits you like a hammer. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. For me to run two, three miles, yeah, it, it sucks. I'm not going to lie to you. But um, to lose your, you know, your sibling, you know, at a young age, uh, tragically, is way more suffering than that. So you got to put things in perspective, too. There's your perspective. Perspective, exactly right. There's your perspective. You can deal with that. You can deal with anything. Exactly. So um, we'll see you next time on the Suffering Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody.